I was watching Ben Chilwell pull his hamstring and then carry to the tunnel and he was practically dead. Yeah, she's when he had passed away. Like that, that word was used. Oh, it's, a, it's a tragedy. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Just a slight tangent on, on that. <laughs> this, was a, this is far too much of a tangent. Just a brief interruption. Can I also say one more thing on this? But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20 minute tangents over a text. Come on. This is refusal to consider the circumstances. I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. This conversation is not a good one, I think. Do we argue much? No. Right, we keep it. them inside. Fester. <laughs> See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three, and then I thought, Come you know on. what? Oh, I'd yeah. actually debate that with you. Come on. It is an interesting. Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but. Uh, <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. Okay, you're welcome along. Slight Tangent is coming at you. Joe here in studio. Mick is alongside me. Arthur in studio. Hello, Arthur. How's it going? And Will is with us as well. Hello, Will. Evening, lads. So there was an issue, it turns out, with a slight tangent at offtheball.com. We were getting some of your emails. However, uh, quite a few of your emails were ending up in a junk folder, which we have newly discovered. (laughs) Uh, The good news being, at least we have discovered it. And, uh, well, we're quite reassured that quite a lot of emails were ending up. I know in the a slight tangent at offtheball.com Good ones. broader email account. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we won't get to all of them now, but just to give you a sense, because I, I, I emailed back a few of you this afternoon just to say, sorry, we didn't get your email from a month ago. So for instance, uh, what have we got here? Uh, Howie Lads, says Adam in Dublin. So the last few years I've been listening to audiobooks, but since there's so much choice of what to listen to and to read, I found myself going for narrators that I like rather than authors that I like. He says, with the absolute proliferation of football and other sports on television at the moment, I'm starting to do the same with sport. I'll check the fixtures. I'll check who's doing the commentary, particularly when it comes to radio. And then I will listen to the ones I like best. I'd probably listen to Brian Kerr recounting the ebb and flow of a poo sticks race. Who's the best in the business out there? Or what's the hidden gems that make a seemingly boring match come to life? Adam in Dublin. Thank you for the email, Adam. There's been quite a bit of talk lately on Off the Ball about commentary, you know, the... Lad's name had a big conversation. So we'll park that one and come back to it in due course, I think, is the best plan there. Mm. We should just talk about the audiobooks instead. Yeah. Stephen Fry reads a good audiobook. He's what? definitely getting Roddy's book. What does Stephen Fry do except for Harry, Harry Potter? Potter? I don't know, but I listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> I've read the Harry Potter books and listened to the audiobooks. It's a bit, bit weird, I think, but there you go. Did you see uh, recently, this dreadful, her name escapes me, but the oldest woman man, person to finish a PhD at Trinity College there, graduated just the other week. Uh, She's in her late 80s, I think. And her PhD was about why adults connect with Harry Potter. And there are deep seated. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't read her PhD or her thesis, uh, but that was a a, a Trinity. I feel seen. Uh, It was. um, (laughs) There you go. Uh, So Hugh and Taryn, you're. How's it going, lads? Who is the best audio book narrator out there? Everyone just says Stephen Fry. Roddy Collins. Yeah, I think Roddy's well, going to go. Roddy. I haven't heard it yet. I had a chat with Roddy about a recording of his audio book and even that was enlightening. So what did I he can't say? wait to... What was he uh, saying? Just the just, uh, experience of it. It took five days. I don't know how much of this is public, so I'm not going to say exactly what he said. He won't mind. <laughs> I don't know if he'll mind or not. Like, yeah, he just had a... It was, just, it was a, definitely a, motion for the book. a chat conversation. But uh, needless to say, I just, like, I'm very much looking forward to... It took a couple of days for both him and, I think, the people running the audiobook to realise that the best way would be for Roddy to 
do it in his own voice. And so, you know, and I think, his, I, but I think that's why it's going to be actually brilliant. As and, opposed and, to his telephone voice. As a, yeah, a little bit, yeah, as opposed to the kind of reading and, you know, not like worrying about, you know, the only way we'd all read and, and we might say the instead of ah or something like that. In just because yeah, you're trying to speak in a normal or it is, it is instead of it's yeah exactly so I think after a couple of days they were like this isn't the way we should do this and I think mm. I think uh, again I haven't heard it yet but I am going to listen to it and the result I would imagine is a Roddy Collins experience which is surely what you want from it you know Arthur I feel you could do your book in a quite a relaxing tone if you care yeah, I'm not to. sure you'd listen to that yeah I never really came <laughs> up <laughs> there's no audiobook version no no How's it going? Uh, what about if we got all of the, at least the uh, alive people who are uh, participating to read their own chapter? No, no, no. Shane Dowling would be good. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. Hugh, Hugh and... Uh, we read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hugh and... Hugh and Terenure. Uh, how's it going, lads? This is another lost email from uh, quite some time ago, I'm afraid. Uh, conflicted is the first word in his email. World Cup? Straight away I was interested. Yeah. Conflicted. Uh, he said, no, it's not as serious as the World Cup. The knee slide celebration has been going for 20 odd years. It's an old reliable and never gets old. But is it time for footballers to get a new celebration? Hugh and Turner likes to ask the big questions. He does. Uh, <laughs> Shearer's arm aloft thankfully died a death in the early 2000s. But what is the next standard celebration? Thoughts? Do people only do the knee slide? <laughs> is that the only celebration out there? I, I don't think it's the default. Best knee slide. Saltier, surely. Given the well, gosh, surely yeah. Roddy Whelan against the USSR. Did he knee slide? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and fell oh, back. That was, that yeah, was what collapsed. we did. That was what we were doing at school for years. Was the the well, not like on the tarmac, but when we when we got the grass every now and then. Hugh preempted your answer by saying, "P.S. It's as if he knew you were going to ask this." P.S. My favorite knee slide. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite knee slide celebration is the one and only Ballon d'Or presenter Didier Drogba. Oh, did a good oh yeah, that's yeah. a fair one actually. Henri yeah. too. Yeah, isn't the statue outside the Emirates of him in a knee slide? Henri's was very stylish. He turned his body as he as he's doing it. Yeah, like Ronnie didn't do that. Ronnie had two fists. Everything Henri did had that panache and that certain that control. (laughs) Yeah, Bobby Brady did a knee slide when he scored in Lille. Did he? He did, and then he got up off his knees and kind of finished the celebration by going to the stands. Yeah, it's amazing. Robbie Keane's thing never caught on. Too complicated. Also, it was awful. I mean, even by Robbie's (laughs) own admission. Uh, he was doing uh, the Gary Neville overlap, not the overlap, the soccer box. Don't worry, sit down with him. Yeah. yeah, and even he was saying, "I can't look at it." Well, he did it for twenty years. Like that's the funny thing. <laughs> but he was saying, "I kept doing it, even though I didn't like it," which was amazingly interesting. He couldn't help himself. Did you like when he adapted it in uh, for the bow and arrow? <laughs> one time. No, I don't remember having when he, when he scored against either. Saudi Arabia. I think in oh, the yeah. World Cup. Yeah. He adapted and did a bow and arrow into the camera instead of the, why the cowboy shots. Like, oh no, I don't know. I'm not getting into why he's because I'll end up saying something. <laughs> what is the equivalent of the Shearer these days? Even when Shearer was doing that, it was boring at the time. Yeah. Uh, Shearer's was terrible. Sometimes he's a two hands <laughs> if it was a really big goal. <laughs> uh, I don't think there is a standard celebration anymore. I think it wasn't Zano. Like obviously, Messi points to the sky for every goal that he scores. Yeah, Gabriel Jesus does the phone. Yeah, Nani had the most over-the-top, unnecessary celebration where he did like a double flip. Did he? Oh, oh, I can't believe he didn't get injured. While Ronaldo's is probably the most. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The do most. you know who's a precursor to that Ronaldo one? Was Roy Keane used to do something similar? He'd do a run and then he would just jump in the air and stop. <laughs> yeah, then everyone would jump on him. him. He wasn't probably as 
trying to draw attention to the no. name on his back in the way Ronaldo is. No, and, and it wasn't like that with the hands and all. Yeah. But he would just jump and stop. There's yeah. a bit of, bit of showman there in Keen Creek. Mbappe and Haaland, <laughs> the two next young guns, both are very distinctive ones now, where Haaland gets down into his effectively a yoga position and Mbappe's got the one where he crosses his arms and kind of does the nonchalant look at the camera as well. Oh, I like the, the, kids the Mbappe one's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But I think actually we've gone, and I've just realised what he meant by the knee slide. It was like that that's the standard, that like that's the... That's the kind of, um, the, you know, the starting point. And then everybody, you might have individual ones. It's the working but, man's celebration. Yeah so, yeah. What, so what is the, I don't know, actually. There is, maybe there isn't one at the moment. There maybe isn't everybody's anything. an individual now. We've gone, in my memory, it's, it's the sheer, is the, the shake of the hands back in the day. Sheer hand aloft. And I don't know what the working man's pros, pros celebration is anymore. <laughs> Remember when Griezmann was going through a series of doing all the Fortnite celebrations? I don't know. I don't know anything about Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah. So at one point, Griezmann was keeping glitter. I think it was in his sock. And so when he scored, he would do the Fortnite celebration, and then he would throw the glitter up in the air. Like that's just going a step too far. Is it? Well, I guess what Mbappe doing like the. Mm. Like, and all, whatever they're doing. <laughs> Sorry, because somebody does. Cut, cut that. <laughs> I'll say it now, Stephen. If you clip that, we're done. Um, but they're all it, these are just to have gifts. I mean, this is this is basically the thought process. It's like I need a one to three second yeah. uh, signature gif. That's mm, the, like the thing. Fecundo Sava with his mask. Yes, Fulham player. <laughs> I was yeah. just thinking that I used to take it out of a sock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, imagine running around. That, that surely affected times. him, that sock, that running around the sock while being yeah. in fresh. Well, Bamiyang's had a few. I think Bamiyang did Black Panther and he did Dragon Ball Z as well. Okay. We'll press on. I don't. Funny enough, though, I think we've named an awful lot of celebrations and have no answer to the question. No, there isn't a standard middle of the road celebration. But Hugh and Turner, thank you two months on for your email. <laughs> uh, a, give up a sign of how old this email is. Hi, guys. I started listening to Deep Roots, the podcast of Damien Rowan, The Atlantic. Damien's been home about three weeks at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Damien Brown, yeah? Yeah. So I started listening to Deep Roots, the podcast of Damien Brown, Rowan, The Atlantic. I started it from the start. Uh, knowing it ends well, he has in brackets. But it's amazing to hear the actual, excuse me, thoughts of someone going through something like this. Question. Who would be your choice of partner from the OTB team to row the Atlantic with? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I tell you up first. You, you were the only one who knows this was coming, so the rest of us... Uh, honest answer, Brendan, is I couldn't think of anyone. I think I'd go solo. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like the better option. Um, I'd bring Arthur. Because uh, he does all my work anyway, so <laughs> I'm swimming alone. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> well, there's nobody surprised about that. Is Bod technically part of the team? And you can't just like rely on the man's manual labour. That's what I mean. You just <laughs> sit there and put the feet up. Thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not part of the team. No, he's not. He's not. You're not bringing him. Um, maybe Shane Hannon then. He seems to win all of these uh, physical challenges that we run. See, I think the question was more That's geared towards personality. You're you're taking this far too practically. You and Shane are not making it either way. No. You can take Bod as well. You're probably not going to make it. <laughs> It's more who do you want to die with? <laughs> you, I was going to say who do you want to spend a few weeks with? No, who's who do you want to die with? It's got real grim, real quick. Who would murder each other? That's the, that's you know. It's tough. Uh, the second question he asked was, how would you react if that person couldn't continue and you were left in the middle of the ocean alone? I mean, not well. I react? I mean, like you know, it's like there's not much to do here. Wait yeah. to die. Like Damien Brown was really honest about that 
when he was doing the interview with yeah. the lads on AM. He was like, he was pissed off. Because mm. you can understand, you've got this whole challenge, which is the idea of getting in within a certain amount of days, and you've got your team made, and you spend all this time preparing for it, and making sure it was the right time to get in the boat. Yeah. Then your teammate gets sick, and straight away you're having to do double the work. You know you're not going to get the record, but you still have to complete it. Mm. And he knew there was going to be at least double the amount of time in the boat on his own, which I'm sure is probably the hardest part of the experience. I might take Adrian Perry. Go on, why? Uh, very jovial upbeat, positive personality. I think I would need that out there. I might be prone to seeing the downside. Whereas if I think I was Barry would bring a, a certain sense of optimism, I think. He's, yeah. uh, he's what are you going to talk about? Oh, you can talk oh, about anything. anything. Yeah. Yeah. If I was one of you, I'd bring me. That's a that nice another email. Humility. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to care to say why? I think you all know why. Why? I'm the best company. All oh, right. Okay. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Tyg O'Rudig has oh this is a chef's kiss of an email uh, I look do it there no oh. uh, that would be my celebration paranoid though <laughs> there we go uh, love this new slot says Tyg but I think it could be improved with some added jeopardy it seems that this slot allows everyone a greater sense of freedom with their opinions it does however if someone offers something clearly ridiculous sh- they should be subject to a one week ban from a slight tangent Take OD, he says. Jesus. <laughs> Take OD, calling anyone who boos a moron and pathetic. <laughs> the rest of the panel, it doesn't read great in writing, actually. The rest of the panel should be able to vote him off for a week for saying something stupid. Yours, Tyke. I wouldn't vote you off for saying that, actually. Do we want to introduce a... Tyke think we have an endless amount of contributors here as well. Well, there is that. Is Tyke fancy coming on himself? <laughs> oh, there's That's not much strength in that, Tyke. I mean, we, didn't, <laughs> we don't have a fourth person in. It's the thin bench. Uh, but we, we could look... There is a an issue with this slot, which we've talked about off air, where there ha- does have to be a degree of manners put on it. We can't just say nonsense. No, it can't be. So far, so good today, so. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, last email, apologies. Just a quick note, says Mick Doyle, to say how much I've enjoyed the show so far. Uh, probably a common question. What's your favourite sporting memory of the 90s, 2000s or 2010 to present day? It can be national and international. We'll come back to Another that day. one. That's, that's, a, week, yeah. that's a different show. That's a different show. But I just want to not acknowledge put a, put the email. Put a flag right. on that email there, Joe. We'll I have flagged that. Yeah. And uh, I've written back to a few people to say, sorry, we're getting to your email three months. So uh, a slight tangent at offtheball.com. And we now will definitely get to all your emails. So uh, one talking point from the week that was Gary Neville on Have I Got News For You has really blown up over the last couple of days. I suspect if you're on social media at all, you'll have seen this over the last number of days. If you're not and you didn't see if I got news for you, Gary Neville was presenting and it was all going along reasonably well. And then uh, the issue of going on being sports for the World Cup, which Gary's doing, came up and Ian Hislop, um, well, as you'll hear, picked uh, Neville's uh, logic apart fairly swiftly. So have a listen. But you know David Beckham, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, he's going, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. How much has he been paid? I don't know. You do know. (laughs) More than me. Yeah. (laughs) Ian, is it coming home? What, your reputation? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The others have been very gentle with you, Gary, but I mean... Thanks, Ian. The elephant in the room is still there. I mean, you're you're commentating there, aren't you? Yeah, I'm commentating that. And what's the defence? Football term. Commentating that? (laughs) Well, you've got a choice, I think, haven't you? What, going or not going? Well... My view always has been that you either highlight the issues and challenges in these countries 
and speak about them, or you basically don't say anything, you stay back home and don't go. And I've always said we should challenge them. There's another option, you stay at home and highlight the abuses. You don't have to go and take the Qataris' money. I'm not trying to be tartan, but, I mean, it's just... It's not a very good defence. And how, how, how is someone like Robbie or the Black Eyed Peas supposed to highlight it? Are they going to make a speech on the stage? Of course they're not. You can highlight it. What, during a match? Well, highlight and it during the commentary. It's uh, the kick-off here in this appalling country's <laughs> human rights record. And honestly, I think, oh, someone's kicking a ball. But honestly, the, the amount of immigrant workers who've died, it's a shocker. Oh, it's a goal! <laughs> so there we are. And uh, much fallout since... It didn't take Kislop very long to cut the binary logic to shreds. Wasn't even the toughest of roastings that we've seen on that show either. I think back to Angus Deaton when he came back in to host, I think he'd like one show back and just got ripped to shreds, particularly from Hislop for most of the show. And then eventually it was like, well, we have to go with guest presenters from now on. Yeah. In this case, Gary Neville had to be anticipating. <laughs> the circumstances there were slightly different. Oh, no, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> like we can't, they're not like for like, and he had been the host for years. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> this was like one moment that Gary Neville had to be telegraphing. He knew it was going to come from the very, very start of the show. There's a total explanation. This is what he's been answering on Twitter, particularly for weeks now, this is, since the BN Sports announcement was made. And yet, I thought that Gary Neville gave a fairly fudged answer, firstly. And then when he was challenged on it, he should have had a reply for his lob. Even if it's a case of maybe he doesn't have the best of answers, because once you say that you're going to take the coin from Qatar, it takes away a lot of the principal position beforehand, this idea that I'm going to go to Qatar, I'm going to speak out about the issues, and potentially I might change some views in Qatar about this. You come across as terribly hollow if you don't have a reply to Hislop's very simple logic. Mm. So what is his reply, though? Maybe there's none. That's not something saying we know what the story is here. I feel like they didn't... They ping them in one way, but I think his general answer of, like, you go out there and you report on things as they are and you're better off to like I mean we've talked about this on this show in terms of us covering it we've talked about like Miguel Delaney has talked about it like constantly he's arguing with people on Twitter who say that it undermines his views on the World Cup or City or Newcastle or whatever and he's like right saying you know it's his job to go and report the story as is you know and to talk all about it but what undermines Neville is it's who he's working for when he's out there, it's like to be and be in sports. Yeah. So, but I don't know if they made a big enough deal that at least in that clip. Anyway, I obviously haven't seen the entire show or anything like that. But so, I know what you, I, in I, some ways, it's like it is easy to sort of sit in in Hislop's chair there and say like I'm taking him down, and just like achieve it by doing it. I don't know if he actually he he like completely eviscerated him in the way we're suggesting he did. Do you know? I thought there was almost a degree of Ali watching Liston go down with the fist cocked mm. it just it was so it was such a quick dismantling that it yeah Neville it, didn't really know how to react to it well, so there, therefore there was a, there was a point where his lap would have went well, there was a point where his lap you know clearly tore his logic apart there is a third option I mean Gary Neville says there are two options as if that's gospel and his lap says well there's a fairly obvious third option mm. which is you stay at home and you hold them to write, uh, hold them to account and Neville sort of like giggled like uh, he'd never looked as, yeah. as mm. unsure footed in all his time on air, really, and then um, was it Richard Madley? Yeah, yeah. Jumped in and that people but and yeah. asked about Robbie Williams or the Black Eyed Peas and that kind of. But like, if that pause had just been left there, mm. it would have maybe been even uh, worse for him. Um, like Oliver Brown, for instance, is writing about it in the Telegraph today, 
and he was saying it's preposterous for Neville to pretend that his being sports platform will allow him to expose the underbelly of the Qatari regime. His experience in Doha will be confined to a cocoon of luxury hotels, courtesy cars and spangly venues whose grandeur conceals the human horrors required to create them. He will not be breaking off from analysis of Harry Kane's positioning to inveigh against Qatar's laws and homosexuality. And I got, I'm curious, to what extent does this stick? Because like Brown finishes his piece, for instance, by saying nobody is arguing this is a career ending moment for Gary Neville. And he says to be hypocritical, some psychologists argue, is an immutable aspect of what it is to be human. But he says it does mean that Neville's posturing as football's moral policeman cannot be taken seriously ever again. So I, I'm wondering to what extent is this going to stick to Neville? Um, maybe it depends what he says on BN. He might have a big moment on BN where you have to say, OK, in fairness, you delivered on what you said you were going to do. I think it's hard to prejudge him. But I think he's now under a colossal level of scrutiny to see what he says on BN Sports over the next month. All right, Joe, what's he going to say on BN Sports that's going to change opinions or maybe justify the idea of saying that he's going out there to shine a light on something? Well, I suppose if he was to very eloquently and strongly slam the treatment of migrant workers in the country on BN Sports, if he was to talk at length about how uh, much of the world, all of the world really finds their uh, rules on homosexuality abhorrent. If he was to say that on BN Sports, that's not nothing. I think he could always say... Well, in my defence, in his lap, look what I did go and say there. But he, it's not, it's not, like they've paid, they've agreed a contract, presumably with him. Yeah. And there'll be certain stipulations. So he's not going to go and, I'm not saying that they'll have him gagged, but presumably they wouldn't set themselves up if they weren't pretty certain it would work out well for them. They're not going to have him on, pay him money and then let him Do you think tear would, into I them. don't think you would have signed a contract saying you can't talk about X, Y or Z. Really? I don't think, I don't think so. I really, where, where does the surprised. opportunity arise though? It would have to be in studio. But where like, is it being helped in any way by anybody else involved, you would imagine? As in the presenter's not going to yeah, ask Yeah, him, yeah, you need, you need to be set up for something like that. You can't just say, like, you know, oh yeah, look, you can see there that Kane is at the back post. But now that I have your attention, what I want to tell you about but is... There, there will be opportunities where they're reflecting on the World Cup at large. Say it's Richard Keyes and Gary Neville. Gary, what kind of World Cup has it been for you at the end? Or, Gary, what is it about this, you know, this World Cup coming to Qatar? What, you but know, I'm are saying, you, are they not going to avoid those subjects? But, br- like the plague? but there are, there there are going to have to be the occasional open questions where, as a pundit, you can take it in a certain direction. Like, he will be out. Gary, you're looking forward to the World Cup. First question. He can say, I am. However, I just want to say. He won't. X, Y and Z. Well, that, I think he's, he's under so, a pressure to now. But it'd be incredible hypocrisy. He didn't. He doesn't need a platform. Like but, the, but doing it on, it, it would... It, but if you, you do it on Qatari state it. television, it you can't. You can't take the money for it and then give out about it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's just ridiculous. Like it's it's just having ridiculous. your cake and eating. Yeah, yeah it'd be I mean, mad. And that's, but I do honestly, I do question the idea that you know somebody who has a moral stance on certain things gets like. I do, I feel it happens a little bit with certainly celebrity types more than it will with politicians. Politicians can have differing opinions can have flip-flopping positions can have you know the best of both worlds and everything and people just accept it as the way it is but nobody questions their you know i don't think people question their position as it currently is i think that someone like neville he doesn't lose all like everything he says isn't wrong because he's being a hypocrite on this matter and you have to just take into account human complexity you have to take into account that gary neville is somebody who has been 
I, I, this, look, I'm only guessing here, and I'm only you know projecting what I think as opposed to knowing anything about what's actually really happening in Gary Neville's head. But here's the facts: he's been famous and rich since he's been 17, 18 years old. He's always been in the public eye. He's always been at the you know, the best professional football club probably in the world at that time, one of the top two or three. He's been looked after by the best manager in the world. He's been at yeah, okay, top yeah. level. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right? So he's, in a, he's in a bubble that he can't help being in. He, he has been a certain way. I was like, he honestly might not have the cop on to say, I stand for this thing and this move massively um, undermines, uh, it. undermines it or, or stands in direct opposition oh, to it is I what know, I was going like, to say it's, I mean it's not rocket science no but do you, do you understand what I'm saying though that there's a sense of like he knows what he thinks is right or whatever and then he may, maybe thinks like this is just a TV station I think ultimately why it's very unlikely that he's going to just have a rant on BN Sport and then it'll happen in one bout is that he had two opportunities probably to talk around this World Cup. He went out to Doha himself to do an overlap series where he spoke about some of these issues and also he spoke to David Beckham mm. who's now an ambassador for the World Cup yeah. and issues around guitar didn't come up in the conversation with David Beckham. Now he's defended that by saying he was speaking to his mate and it was a much more wide-ranging conversation and that wasn't the format for it. Just so happened to be in Qatar. Exactly. But I can't imagine that Gary Neville is going to A, be given a cross in by Richard Keyes to just speak openly about it. And when does he time it? Like if you have that conversation around Qatar and your first broadcast or second broadcast, the artist point, you probably won't be back on. Maybe that's the thing. I mean, I mean, maybe for his reputation, that's the thing to do. Go out in a blaze of glory. He won't though. And it won't matter. None of this will matter. We already see the way that things are being covered now with Newcastle. Do you not think this is going to stick to Neville, though? It'll stick, but it won't stick to people who actually matter. Like, not, I don't mean people who matter, people who are in an influential position within his life. It won't make a difference. Mm. He'll go into things, he'll go into the same thing that... I, think, he would have I think he's going to be reminded about this for like, years. Well, what's a very interesting concept, right, is the fact that he was on Have I Got News For You as a guest host, as opposed to a pundit, yeah. one of the things. Now, I watched that show a fair bit. The guest host never usually gets anything thrown at them, at all. So it's quite interesting. I don't know why he went on in that regard as opposed to one of the two guests. I don't know why the reason behind that was. But the fact of the matter, we, we know that people use that show and it's been accused of it before and it's kind of guilty of it. Of, I don't, you know, not guilty is the wrong word, but of, of propping up people with their own agenda to win there. I mean, most famously Boris Johnson. It sort of humanised him, which, you know, really not pleasant individual, but he humanised him in a way, made him think, it'll work, Neville will do the exact same thing we know that he's aiming towards some sort of thing in politics. He's talked about it a few times. It's the exact same type of thing. Give him a branch. That's a whole new audience that he'll open up to himself, even though we think, I suppose, as football consumers, that he's quite big on Sky, and he is. But on the BBC, prime time, on a Friday evening, like it's a whole new audience. It's a whole new way of getting into it. He'll look foolish. No one will remember this in a year's time. But they'll remember his face. They'll remember him there. They'll, you know, I it's just think it's yeah. part of it. I yeah, don't think it'll Interesting. I, I disagree. I think this is actually way more damaging to him than he realises. And I think... Who, though? Uh, the general public and I think you'll see him tweet things in a year two years three years and a bunch of the replies will be about this this will always yeah. be a and stick to Twitter, be though, I don't know if it matters people though people look for things to beat everybody True. with a stick in Twitter you know? Twitter's not, not real life either as mad as it is I know but I, like it just doesn't there's a lot of people who've done a lot of worse and done a oh, lot well, for it sure. I know but it's not affected them sure I don't, th I don't think it'll I don't think I don't, don't think, think so, no. damage any great okay I just we'll press I, on Probably just misspoke, not, not misspoke, but kind of misexplained myself earlier. I think Arthur actually put it better. It's like what I'm saying is that 
he will have a bubble which like the people in his life will justify this move while still saying you can be the moral campaigner for sure. this that and the other and I do I think that will it just clouds it in a way that I don't think it would be clouded for us who <laughs> to just sort of see things a little bit clearer because we've been yeah. not in that bubble or with that entourage of people for our entire lives yeah oh, look, as it all approaches I think it's um, getting stickier and stickier there are going to be situations like happened today with Khalid Salman I don't know if you saw this he's a former Qatar footballer along with Cafu and Javi he's one of the ambassadors for this World Cup so he's on German television and he's being asked about the issues for LGBTQ plus people and he said they have to accept our rules here homosexuality is a haram you know what a haram means and he was asked and he said it means forbidden and he's uh, he said, why is it forbidden? He said, I'm not a strict Muslim, but why is it haram? Because it is damage in the mind. And at that stage, German television ended the interview. I mean, this is what you're associating yourself with, I think. You know, it's, it, mm. that's not going to be the last misstep. I read the quotes earlier, Joe. I kind of wonder why did they end the interview as opposed to challenging him? I don't know. Maybe they felt it's inappropriate to give him a platform to continue. Misstep is an interesting word because I don't think... It, Sorry, a public revelation of what they no, really think. I, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I mean. no, no, you're right. And I didn't think that you, you meant it that way. But I'm just... It, it, it goes to Qatari, whoever runs the country, like saying, it, it's allowed for a month. You know, and it's like, it's like, sorry... That is, you know, and then people will accidentally say, oh, we still, we, st we still hate gay people, and that's the misstep, as opposed to the problem in the first place, you know? Mm. It's like that this is in no way change. A World Cup isn't going to change anything. No. You mm. know, and we have to remember that. And as I was saying on Friday, and, and I think this is important, is like, you were making the point about Russia last, last week, you know, and that we've had issues before, and why are we going so big in Qatar? There's been loads of sports washing issues, there's been loads of everything. There's a very specific... World Cup related issue with this that we should always put front and centre. The L LGBT stuff is huge, it's important and it should be protested but in the same way as it should have been four years ago. The migrant worker stuff is the direct reason why if we're having conversations about true boycotts and true this, like there's, like, there's a criminal element yeah, to this sure. World Cup that is very specific to it whereas like issues about rewarding countries who don't um, at the same you know, cultural have good values. human rights yeah, right? yeah. you know uh, uh, issues and all is a very very fair question but it's not it's not unique to this World Cup whereas this one is okay we'll take a short break a slight tangent back in just a minute okay and you're very welcome back slight tangent coming at you Joe here Will here Mick here Arthur here so um, something that just came up with Mick and I in the news round briefly yesterday we were talking about Ireland South Africa and the physicality in the game and I think not that it's completely undermining or certainly not ruining the enjoyment of the spectacle. I, I'm certainly not watching a rugby match with that physicality with the same carefree abandon anymore. Whereas 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago, you'd watch a rugby match and, I, you know, you certainly didn't anticipate the lawsuit, which is uh, underway in various countries or, you know, the knowledge of what CTE is or the damage that's being done to players long term. You didn't, none of that was, uh, there was an age of innocence uh, quality almost. Whereas now, we're certainly not in that age of innocence. So uh, to what extent are you still able to watch rugby or indeed NFL or boxing uh, with a certain carefree abandon and enjoy the physicality, revel in it? Maybe I'm totally wrong. I can 
park it to one side yeah, when I go okay. to watch something. Um, the way I see it is 46 guys go out into the rugby pitch last weekend for Ireland against South Africa. They know it's going to be an incredibly physical encounter. That's what they were expecting beforehand. There's going to be multiple collisions. But the guys are all aware of the risks that they're taking going into a game. And similarly, they could pick up all sorts of injuries during it. Similarly, I'm okay when two boxers or two mixed martial arts get into a cage and have a fight. But I think everyone has to be entirely aware of the risks that they're taking before going in for it to be okay in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think back to, say, Mike Webster, the NFL cases initially, where the players weren't aware of CT and weren't aware of the multiple collisions that they were taking, and they felt that a helmet was going to be enough to protect them going out there, not realising that they were taking thousands of hits during their career, which was potentially causing damage further down the track. I think once they're aware with it and they've given their consent that that's what's going to happen between the lines in a pitch or between the you know walls in a cage or the ropes within a ring, I can park my concerns about their health for the time that I'm watching the game. So and does that translate when there's a high tackle that isn't allowed and is a penalty and you want it to be a red card? Does that does that concern still remain parked and just like you're thinking of it from a sporting thing of somebody going down to 14 or are you thinking does that translate then? To be honest I think that was my reaction myself. So remember the I think it was the French second division high tackle that wasn't called a couple of weeks ago that went viral on Twitter my initial reaction was how did the touch judge and referee miss that that they have a duty of care to the players to actually make that call as opposed to me say grimacing at the idea that this could actually happen on the pitch. Right. Where are you Arthur? Uh I don't know, like I watch them, so I suppose it's not too much of a problem for me. Yeah. I don't watch much rugby now to be fair, but like boxing, no problem. And a big hit in boxing no and not getting boxing, you just well, enjoying look, the spectacle more than watching through your no. fingers now saying, oh, this isn't right. No, it, like it doesn't um, fundamentally bother me in terms of having to watch through my fingers, I can watch it, but I can't suspend it, the reality of what's happening. Like, I know what's happened. I know what I'm taking part in. I know what I'm watching. Mm. I, I, I think there's a fundamental flaw in, in, in what Will's saying in regard to that as well about the, well, they signed up for it, for precisely what you're saying, for the unintended consequences of what can happen that you didn't sign up for. And just in general, it's, you don't know what you're, you're not the same person you are at 20 as you are at 30. And what you're willing, you don't, you're not, you don't know what you're signing yourself up for really. And in terms of a risk, it's like risk is very, it's interesting. No one can actually put a number on that risk. Nobody can actually tell you what the risk is. The risk could be far more horrendous than you could possibly imagine. And I just haven't seen, I didn't see it all, but like that Steve Thompson documentary. It's like, and I appreciate it's an earlier time, but like people, current rugby players can see that and I don't think they think that'll be them. I don't think boxers see that and think that'll be me. Why do people smoke? Yeah, like you know what I mean. It's, it's like we all know what it's going to do. The pictures are on the thing. You still do it because you never. You think your future is never going to happen. It's you not, know, like that. Yeah. That's that, that. Those things aren't. You're not. You don't. You can't just human say. Human mind doesn't work that way. No. Yeah. So, so knowing that, then accepting that aspect of human nature and watching the players, do you not wince? Well, we, well like what, what, what's wince? Like wince is just a, a reaction. Like do I think it's bad. Well, like you know what I mean. I, do I, you watch it? Do you watch the physical hits and just enjoy the spectacle of the hits, or does part of you think, oh? God, this is. Oh, no, hits aren't particularly. I, not particularly. Like again, rugby wouldn't particularly for me. I'm not too fussed with that. It's not something I take any pleasure or disdain. And okay. in boxing, like, so if you watch more boxing, yeah. you see a rough knockout. Yeah, like, you know, I don't know. Wince. I know what's happening though. And I know what. I don't know how to balance. I know what's happening. I'll watch what's happening. As a sporting thing, I'm interested in what's happening. Are you bloodthirsty? Do you want no. knockouts? <laughs> I'm not. No, no, I'm not bloodthirsty, but I'm not. I don't want to see anyone hurt. But if you watched a fight and there was no knockouts, would you come away a bit? Uh, no, 
No, it's not. You can, you can enjoy the technical side to a fight. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to end in someone getting knocked out. Most fights don't have a knockout, but you, I think if you were watching 12 rounds and nobody got hurt at any point. Yeah. You know, which is... Well, look, that you is know, perfect. I, I, think, yeah. I think you are missing... The, the contest doesn't feel... doesn't feel like boxing. Yeah. doesn't feel like a good fight. And you have to be honest about those things. Oh, and yeah. then it's like, if you do see a, a big knockout, this is like, and it's... I don't know whether we should feel guilty about these things or whether we should even worry about them because what difference does it make? Although I suppose if we weren't watching then the sport wouldn't exist but that would have downsides too, you know, like there's loads for us in particular. But, you know, when I see a knockout, like it is a thrilling thing I find for a second. Then it's, is that guy getting up? And then when you see he is, you're almost back to, it's, it's like as if that's never happened but there's a definite lull there for that second as you get concerned and then when somebody doesn't get up I find the air's been taken out of your lungs because you have had that excitement and then very quickly you're like uh oh this is real life it's not a TV show that I'm watching There's and a- I, I, that, that's what I would feel I see that in all sports anytime anybody gets hurt there is that kind of oh and then oh yeah there's a guttural reaction. There's a gut thing. I remember there was a Povetkin Chisora fight. One of the fights that happened, or Dillian White, one of the fights that happened in the um, behind closed doors. Thinking that Eddie Hearn's back garden thing. I think Povetkin. I'm getting their name right. I think so. Povetkin. Yeah. Yeah. I, he knocked White out with an undercut that came from nowhere, and it was jump off your seat stuff. It was just like uh, amazed. Like what have I just seen? And yeah. yeah. And then so that is the gut reaction. To be honest with you, that's oh, the first. Yeah. Thing. Oh, Andy Lee's knockout to win the world. Yeah. Win it's world the primal appeal of violence. Yeah. Primal appeal of violence, which is there in all of us. So I'm just wondering, what's winning out? You know, we're all a balance of primal drives and conscious drives. And yeah, we are. Yeah. I, so I don't. I don't. I don't, it's impo- I don't know if it's possible to. How do you balance that? You can't justify it. You know what I mean? It's not... Well, there's many persons who said Formula 1 stopped being interesting when crashes stopped. Yeah, but... Or you watch the start of a Formula 1 for... I mean, the euphemism would be incident. It lacks incident, people would say, of Formula 1. But what they meant was it lacks crashes. Yeah. And yet, I don't think you ever wanted anybody hurt. Like, uh, you know, I I remember being very, very worried about Formula 1 drivers many times. But then there was other moments where... I remember Martin Brundle was in, like, a Jordan and, like crash at the first sense and like went like tumbling through the rest of the field yeah. you know went over all these cars whatever. and everybody was totally grand and Brundle got out and it was basically just a chassis chassis left of his car mm. and everything was fine and you were like Jesus that was an amazing moment that I could still see in my head all these years later but not in a not in a negative way but nobody all, wants being that, honest you know nobody wants that kind of thing in, in horse racing nobody tries I've never heard anyone say that the horse racing if someone doesn't fall no. Yeah, but everybody watches mean. the Grand National. No, I, like I know, as, I know. And there is because you might have a year when only seven or eight but horses isn't, finish. Isn't, isn't there, like back to Will's point of informed consent, the horses don't know what they're in for there. Why would you regale in a horse falling? No, well, I kind of more so mean the, the person, but like I'm not anyone, I don't think anyone's celebrating no, either. No, I don't, I don't think that's ever been a thing. No, but like it's the same, like it's the same in general. Horse I don't think <laughs> bloodthirsty horse racing is a thing. But uh, certainly, <laughs> the physicality in rugby, for sure. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, you've given us an insight into what might be going on in your head there. No, but that's not for me. I don't enjoy, I wouldn't watch that. That's yeah. what I'm saying, but it's not it, like it, it, as a parallel to F1. Okay. I know people who like MMA really like MMA and are going to get angry at me, and I'm sorry, I know I don't understand oh, that. You're not educated. Else, right? That's the... But, uh, I always remember what, like watching fights in the early days and thinking, like, you know, that kind of thing where you're kind of at that, visceral level of watching versus coming back to the real world and it would be like guys on t- like literally an entire a full athlete 
prone on top of somebody, you know, like lying on top of somebody with their entire body weight and punching them in the side of the head. But they, you know, whatever move they're in, the 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 other fighter has a defensive block. So their hand is on the side of their temple and the other guy's punching into the temple. And the commentators are going, these punches are doing no damage because he's blocking it. And I'm like, I'm like, sorry, I've got eyes and I can tell that maybe they're not knocking them out or ending the fight, but they are doing damage. And I suppose, I, I don't know why I even bring that up other than to say, I do think there are times when you see things that aren't being reflected properly where your instinct for this is kind of a little bit wrong. Mm. comes into it over that thrill-seeking kind of primal, I don't know, excitement, thirst, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, bloodthirst maybe is. That need for danger is an interesting point, though. Is that something that's actually inbuilt in us? Oh, because yeah. Who was, um, who's the brilliant... Well, we're not, it's not too much too dangerous for us. There's that great line from yeah. the... Who's the brilliant writer, elder statesman of American boxing writing that we would have on the show every... Occasionally now, it'd be, it'd be very old now, if not... Thomas Hauser, maybe? Or no, no, but along those lines... Jerry Eisenberg? Yeah, Jerry yeah. Eisenberg. And he would say, of all the sports in the world, if aliens came down, he said, if they came down and sat beside me and I was watching a baseball match, I'd have to teach them the rules of baseball. If they came down beside me watching NFL, I'd have to teach them the rules. If they came down beside me in a fight, they'd say, shut up, I'm trying to watch the fight. And he delivered it <laughs> in this great way. So yeah, court, I mean, there's no explanation needed and it's just compelling isn't it yeah like even when I think when I think of the Formula 1 point no one wants them to happen like Nicky Lauda or Senna or yeah. any of those type of crashes that end really badly but at the same time if we can know that they're going to spin off and next thing the guys come out and they're back on and they're able to race again next week that adds an extra element of interest compared to a race which is won tactically where everybody goes around perfectly yeah. is that danger with Formula 1 though sorry and I, I actually I don't think it undermines the point at all because I think you're right in everything we say about rugby and boxing with Formula 1 I always think that it's that incredible now don't get me wrong sometimes it's a visceral crash that is thrilling but most of the time it's like the fact that it everything can, it's the one sport where everything can kind of change very very quickly so everything looks like it's Hamilton's going to win Hamilton's going to win and suddenly he drives into a wall mm. and it's over I don't know I wonder is that the excitement Part of, of it, it yeah. that the, the waiting for something to happen yeah it changes the outcome it changes as well, yeah. everything yeah. On, on the MMA thing do you remember when it was really blossoming here and it was like doing the rounds even on current affairs shows and should this be banned and you know there were people on saying well yeah. I've watched it and I've seen lads covered in blood and getting their head the live repeatedly cage fighting. punched off them again and again mm. and the referee's not stopping me because the fight's still going on and they said it's too violent for me uh, and then the MMA response was often oh, you're not educated I always kind of thought no I think they've <laughs> oh, enough education to know yeah. I mean what they're seeing which is someone's head is pumping full of blood and they're still being punched I don't think Education there is the issue with their sensibilities. That period of time will be looked back upon quite ah. funnily. You, you couldn't say oh, it's a bit it's too just, violent. You couldn't. It's, just it's so perfectly funny. fine to say you don't enjoy something as well. Yeah. It doesn't have to be explained to you why you're not enjoying it. Can I get your thoughts on one last um, uh, point? Martin O'Neill has done an interview with the Belfast Telegraph as part of the serialisation of his uh, new book, which he wrote by himself, actually, interesting. No uh, ghost author. Uh, doing Probably the rounds at, at the moment. Jesus, we're still trying to get him on. <laughs> so... So, uh, what he's what the, the line I suppose there's, which jumps out from a Republic of Ireland point of view is he talks about feeling very much like an outsider and like the Northerner. So what he says is that even after that, that Denmark uh, result, he said the Republic media uh, threw everything at you in terms of criticism. It was kind of storing up a bit. He says the truth is this: there were a number of times that I was called the Northerner or the outsider. 
And I was treated in many ways the same way as Trapattoni eventually became. One of those figures you tend to hate. I think that was it. My persona didn't seem to fit with them throughout the time. And I'm even going back to heavy criticism in the early stages of the 2016 European campaign. He says, I think if you're viewed as a bit of an outsider to begin with, then it's hard, regardless of results being okay, to win them back again. That would be my thoughts on it. So O'Neill feels he was viewed as an outsider to begin with. From minute one, he was at best at a standing start. And by the media, he's saying there. I, I hadn't. The Republic there. media, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested when you go back now. Who's, know, that doesn't register. Who's the insider? In terms of managers, Ireland fad. So Charlton were ruling. I was an obvious outsider. Mm. Brian Kerr. Like so, Brian Kerr to a degree, but I mean the League of Ireland is so reviled within certain things at the FAI at the time that it was like he's no insider. Mm. Mick McCarthy was no McCarthy insider. Went from being Ireland captain to like two years break and then becoming manager. So maybe maybe four years off, but you could say he was. He certainly could make claims to be an outsider well, as well. He, I mean, he could say like the captain of the team had turned around to him on that trip to Boston and yeah, yeah. the country not being from it so couldn't say like the most absolute insider yeah. the kind of point I'm making is there is no there's no insider there's no one who has been there's no establishment figure here mm. that's ever been manager Brian Kerr and Stephen Kenny are seen as outsiders because, because they're not from the professional from the inside yeah. the professional game will the players the accept them is the big game. conversation yeah, yeah. so since Owen Hand and Giles then basically we've had either literal it's outsiders it's a great or way of looking at it I don't remember him being called the outsider <laughs> certainly not the northerner or the outsider that's nonsense and if there's an outside if there's a like and the other thing and look I know I don't know where he's coming from with that or whether he's... I don't know what, what the story is with the Northern thing. If there was an outsider belief, which I don't think there was, is that Martin O'Neill was a very distinguished figure in the English... He never... It wasn't that he's from Derry. It was in much the same way as... like He never felt... He was always being talked about as, an England man, as the next England manager and all of that. Nationality, I think, never really came into things with Martin O'Neill, you know what I mean? But if you would say he was a Gaelic footballer from Derry, which he was growing up, I don't think many people are going to dispute his Irishness. No. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's no issue there whatsoever. Brendan Rodgers is exactly the same. But again, Brendan Rodgers is a very similar trajectory to O'Neill yeah. in that like, once he went to England, and even with Celtic, it's, it felt very kind of of the UK then in that regard. But it was nothing to do with his own personal nationality. You mean like he's more of the UK football industry? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Ben Rogers, another guy who'd been yeah. regularly talked about as a future England manager, you know, at, at times in his career. My memory of him uh, and his appointment in twenty thirteen was like euphoria. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Like he couldn't have been more welcomed. I'm pretty sure me and you went to their the first game was getting Latvia. I'm pretty sure we were we were doing a show oh, yeah, there yeah. that night. We were there together. I remember we were on air that night Jer said uh, there was a rumour going around and Jer said like I always remember this because we played the clip it was like there is no way that Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane are taking over because it was so ludicrous to how good an appointment that yeah. would be yeah. you know and then the next day we spent the whole day laughing about that because it was true but everyone was like super excited about yeah, it so, well his perception is from minute one I was the outsider I hope we get O'Neill on the show so we can maybe talk about that in a bit more detail yeah. but there's, there's no way I think until after Euro 2016 he could have felt that because this seems to be very much drawn at the Irish media as opposed to fans or players within the camp. He's very specifically pointedly gone I at think, the media here. I think so. I don't think the media were negative about Martin O'Neill this side of the end of Euro 2016. Maybe there were some concerns about the football along the way, but never this sense that this is this outsider who's coming in or O'Neill is not particularly well liked. No, there was loads of criticism and there was loads of, but it was based on, it was based on, on football or attitude or interviews or 
what he was saying about players or the usual stuff that happens with a manager as soon as they start, whereas people have dif- disagreements. Like Whereas we all think Wes Hoolahan should be playing more and O'Neill thinks that we're, that's a personal dig at him because he didn't pick him once. You know, that's, that's the way managers and, and, and fans and media operate. That's the dynamic. It was never anything to do with him being an outsider, as far as I could see anyway. And I, like, we were around. Mm. I never, ever heard him being referred to as Northern Irish. I ne- possibly former Northern Ireland international or whatever, but it was never an issue. And that's, that's not like that was some dog whistle or something. You know, it wasn't like. Oh, no, sorry, of course not. That's what I'm saying. Like, there was no. He was this guy played in World Cups and look at what he's done as a manager and everything like that. He was Celtic manager for years. He was, again, it was just. I I think that he's barking up the wrong tree completely with that. Whatever about all the rest of it. But, and even if the media and the fans and all were completely wrong in the way they treated him, that's his perspective. But don't go around saying they decided from day one because of where he was from. It's soured, and I wonder how much that has coloured his opinion of his entire time in charge. The, the last few months did get messy. There yeah. were a lot of yeah. cranky interviews, cranky press conferences, the feeling that he was being blamed for the Declan Rice situation, all those different things that annoyed him yeah. in the later stages. And people did get fed up with the football, I think, in the last campaign and that Nations League camp. And, and the kind of the rumours from the camp seeped out that not the enough, was, being, not enough yeah. was being done in training. Yeah. That was a big part of his work. He had a wild card as assistant manager. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and actually, when I say the rumours seeped out that he wasn't doing enough in training, Voice I mean Matt Doherty went on national radio on Two FM and said not enough was being done in training, yeah. and he yeah. didn't know what Roy Keane was doing. Well, look, we saw the way Martin O'Neill talked about Matt Doherty when he was doing analysis recently. Yeah. I, I don't get the impression Martin O'Neill is somebody that lets sleeping dogs lie, or is above <laughs> these kind of like little uh, mini feuds. Prickly. Based on what people have said about him, you Very know, prickly. Um, like the interviews with Tony Dunne were just silly. Yeah, they got awkward. Was, you talk about awkward watching things on the field. It was awkward watching most of the post-match interviews in the last eighteen months. Of the yeah, time. like you're there to answer a few questions. Tony's there to ask them on behalf of the public, and it just got I always got the impression there was an atmosphere before bitter. the interview even started most and of the time. Yeah, but do you think that we're like naturally? harsh on a manager not willing to give a chance because if you look at Ireland's results up until the second leg of Denmark in 2018 yeah. they were kind of phenomenal like we had done unbelievably well to get to a playoff situation where we had a home leg yeah. to go and qualify I, for a World Cup it feels a long way off that now I do think in his defence the media here and it's getting worse are overly demanding Yeah, but you don't think it came from other things outside of football like a prickly nature like a defensiveness like yeah, all help. of those things it didn't help it didn't help yeah. it, it soured the mood it soured like Trapatoni relations are still so good because he just didn't care what we had to say so he's <laughs> hey everyone Tony hey Tony could have been saying sack him 10 minutes earlier didn't mind Yeah, yeah. so it soured the mood it was like you all have crap players and I'm still yeah. Trapatoni yeah, I don't. remember one interview where there was a draw being made or so, it was some conference it wasn't even around a game where you could say there's a bit of pre-match tension and mm. it the uh, conduct in the interview was very unbecoming it was very poor so I think that soured that's what I mean it's hard and to then, warm to that as and, it went and on and then you, know? you don't get and then you actually don't get enough credit for beating Wales beating Austria yeah, yeah. getting into the playoff even even the first leg against Denmark you actually don't get enough credit for that but it's from something else but if you're Martin O'Neill you're only seeing the second part and that's human nature that's actually not having a go at him you're not seeing the, con- the reason for these things to happen you're seeing what's happening and you're like this is completely unfair mm. I'm not getting any credit for the job I've done here. And then all I'm seeing is this, like, you know, uh, parade for the next guy that's coming in after him. Yeah. You know, you can understand why there'd be a bit of bitterness there. But again, I think it's 
as a result of not looking at the full picture. Mm. Okay. Me. We are out of time. <laughs> That's a slight tangent for this week. A slight tangent at offtheball.com is where you can get us. We'll talk to you soon.